You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, Kensington. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see you all. Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to worship here in a second, but I, uh, I wanted to read this scripture. Uh, it's uh, Romans 8, it's 31 through 39. And it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give all these things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who raised to life, is at, the, is, at, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall, sep- who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he continues on and he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just love that we get to celebrate, we get to come here today, and we get to celebrate what he did on on the cross for us that we don't get to come in here feeling defeated, but we get to feel and we get to participate in his victory because that's what he calls us to, that we are more than conquerors through, through Christ who lives in us, amen? So we're gonna worship and just celebrate what he did at the cross.
I am so glad you're joining us for this service. If you don't recognize this amazing profile, I'm Steve Andrews. I'm one of the crazy people that had the privilege of starting Kensington over three decades ago. And I am literally super glad that I get to welcome you to this special community. Whether you're here in person or at one of our six campuses or joining us online. Today, we're starting a new series called Living the Dream. That phrase is complicated, isn't it? It reminds us of that childlike God-given desire to dream. And it also reminds us of broken dreams. And you know what? I gotta be honest with you. I feel like I've been living the dream my whole life. It's not that life has been without bumps and hardships, disappointments, but certainly for the past 31 years, I've seen the dreams of my own heart come true through amazing people like you. A crazy group of us had the nutty idea to start a church that wasn't like church. And for years and years, we got to see thousands of people join in to make that dream a reality. God has continued to bring amazing, humble, talented, teachable people who give their time and talents to serve. Our volunteers are the warriors of this movement. You make Kensington possible. And there are so many different ways to serve. We have people setting up and tearing down every week at Clarkston and Birmingham campuses. We have greeters and ushers. We have people rocking babies, leading small groups, serving coffee, parking cars. We have amazing musicians and singers that give their time every week. There are volunteers praying, doing security, photography, and so much more. And I certainly am one of those who are so grateful for every one of you. 
And if you haven't found your place yet, I encourage you to check out all the opportunities that Kensington has to offer. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Other thing I want to talk to you about today is baptisms. I've been thinking about how Jesus called himself the living water. There's something so powerful about that image, of how he quenches the thirst of our soul in a way that nothing and no one else can. And water is what we use to cleanse our of everything, our, ourselves, our clothes, our our dishes, our cars. This symbol of baptism being plunged beneath this flood of pure water, it actually makes sense even though its start was with the early believers over 2,000 years ago. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're committed in your heart to continue this faith journey, then this may be your next step. As we surrender to the water, it's a picture of how we surrender to Jesus and we rise up again made new. Our team and myself, we've been able to participate and observe thousands of baptisms over the last 30 years and never gets old. It's actually the opposite. It's always new. I want to invite you to take part in this special sacred event. We have baptisms coming up, and this might be the time in your story to take that step. So let's return to our services now, and let's learn what God wants to say about what it means to live the dream. Hey, everybody, good morning, Orion Campus. How's everybody doing this morning? Nice. You guys are so much more awake than the 9 a.m. people. Okay, who saw that bagels are back? Yes, I love it. And coffee up nice and close. How do we feel about that? Everybody happy? I love it. They worked really hard to make that happen. I'm so glad everybody found their stuff. Um, so I love hearing from Steve to kick off the day this morning. He is just an amazing soul and has always been such an inspiration to me personally. Uh, but what he was talking about with baptism, those are going to be taking place during a midweek service, August 11th. So if you have any questions about that, come on out to the hub. We'd love to give you more details. Uh, but we have another celebration that we want to talk about as well, which is the Hope Water Project 5K that took place yesterday. Was anybody there? for the craziness yesterday. I want to hear you. Oh, more craziness was there than that. I know it. This was the seventh annual Hope Water 5K. There was a fun run, and they raised a ton of money for Hope Water Project, which puts in wells in Kenya. It's an amazing organization, and the crew that was out there, oh, that's Kira. She is one of our awesome volunteers. Actually, she's back over here somewhere, I think, today as an usher greeter for us. Um, but it was an awesome day, and we want to celebrate the team who made all of that possible. The other thing that Steve mentioned was volunteering. And I don't just wear this orange shirt because I look really good in orange. Uh, it's because we need more warriors to join our Orion volunteer family. Um, that's exactly what Steve called the uh, volunteer teams around this place. And it is so true. We have people that serve in so many different areas. And it might look like we have it all covered. But let me tell you, we need more people to jump in and be a part of things. So whatever that might look like for you, everybody's got a unique design. Everybody He's got something different that they bring to the table. But I would love, if your heart is beating at all, to step in and be a part of this family around this place, I would love for you to pull out your phone and zoom in and scan that code because that'll take you to all of our different volunteer opportunities. Um, and you can check out, learn a little bit more about what they are, everything from students to K-Kids to Usher Greeter to Coffee Team to being up on this stage, running a camera. There are so many different ways that you can plug in and be a part of what happens around here. Um, 
if this is way too tech savvy for you, because I had to have somebody tell me how to make this happen. <laughs> so um, we are going to be in the lobby out by the hub. There are orange balloons. We would love to have a conversation with you and let you know all the different ways that you can plug in around this place. Uh, but we are so glad you're here. Uh, as Steve mentioned, we are launching into a new series today called Living the Dream. And uh, Craig's here. He's going to kick off our week. But before we dive into the message, there's an amazing song that's going to kind of focus our in focus us into our day, and it actually was done by our Kaleo Kids program, which is an amazing group of students that come together, they create, they are going to sing this, she is going to sing this beautiful song, she is part of Kaleo, and um, just one of our amazing organizations that we partner with here at Kensington. So take a listen to the is, and then we're going to dive into the rest of our day. Glad you're with us, guys. But I know you made me golden. You the one I put my hope in. How can I fall when you hold me? No restraints, no complaints. Power and strength in Jesus' name. Can't turn back. Paid too much with the cross on his back. Gotta start turning my back on my dreams. Blood in my hand, I was left in the street. Born with an L, I was used to defeat. Knees weak, help me, please. Easy to top, but I got a plan to fulfill. Lay on my back and look up to the hills. Trying to find help where it come from. Sit still, don't run.
good. You guys believe she's only 14? Isn't that crazy? And if you haven't noticed, um, Ella is actually a part of our regular team up here. You'll see her up here often. She is also, uh, as was mentioned, she's a part of Cleo. Uh, so was the guy that sang and rapped in the middle of the video. By the way, I put in to be that guy rapping. I never got the call back. So, but he was a part of Kaleo as well. Kaleo, again, for those of you who don't know, it was birthed out of Kensington. It's a separate thing now that we partner with, but it really was born out of a passion and a desire to cultivate the, the gifts and the skills and the talents of our kids and our teens. And I just, I love, and I've said this a couple times since I've been here, I love the fact that we've got that value here at Kensington, that we don't look at our teens and go, eh, you know, when you're older, maybe you could do real work here at the church. We go, no, everybody has a role to play. This is a community for all of us, not just some of us. So anyways, Elle's awesome. I love her. She knocked it out of the park, did a great job. So I want to say good morning to you here with us in the room. Those of you online, uh, you've tuned into our Orient campus this morning. So here's what I'd love for everybody to do. If you could just take a minute, be friendly like I know most of you can. Uh, maybe stand up, say hello to somebody near you. Let them know that you're glad they're here or that you're here. And if you're online, uh, just let us know. Shout out in the chat where you're watching from. Say hello. We'll say hello back. So just take a minute. Say hi to somebody near you. So as Kim mentioned this morning, we are launching off into a new series called Living the Dream. Uh, To help me get it started, I actually want to have you finish a sentence for me. I'm going to read this. I think most of you will recognize it. And then I'm going to have you finish where I leave off. So here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these, here we go, that among these are, finish it. I'm just going to be honest, I think 9 o'clock paid better attention in history class. I mean, you did all right. (laughs) They were a little bit quicker to the, yeah, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that comes out of what document? Yeah, even less of you paid attention, Declaration of Independence. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. For the last 90 years, those seven words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, uh, have been referred to most commonly as the American... Dream, yeah, some of you are like, are we gonna be filling in blanks all morning? No, that's it, I promise, I just need your help a few times. That phrase, the American dream, was actually coined by John Adams, not the second president of the United States, John Adams, but turn of the 19th century historian, John Adams, who wrote really about this idea of the life, liberty, pursuit of happiness being what he termed as the American dream in such a way in 1931 as to call us really with vision out of what we were steeped in at that time, which was the Great Depression. Uh, His vision really, as he kind of coined this idea and this term, was to say, hey, essentially, we can get out of this. But here's what's super interesting. As he writes this idea, and he really begins to take those seven words and wrap them into just the two, the American dream, it wasn't just to give us a sense of vision that we could climb out of the Great Depression. Because in 1931, we were steeped in it, which makes it super interesting, the timing of what else he was attempting to do, which was to give us a warning. And the warning was, when we climb out of this, let's be careful where we go. Because, and again, this is what's so fascinating about his challenge to us as an American society given the timing, again, Great Depression, 
Everything's falling apart. So few of us have much of anything. And yet part of his warning was this, even two years before the Great Depression was over, was that already he believed that the American dream most of us were pursuing was a faulty dream. Because what he was arguing was that our dream that we were pursuing was one value at the expense of every other value, and it was the value of prosperity gain. And so one current author right now, her name's Sarah Churchwell, writing about Adams and kind of his intent in this phrase, the American dream, and what he was trying to do, says this. For Adams, worshiping material success was not the definition of the American dream. It was, by contrast, the failure of the American dream. The American dream that he says is this. The dream of a better, richer, and happier life for all citizens of every rank. Adams did not mean richer materially, but here's what's interesting, but spiritually. Like, have you ever thought of the phrase, the American dream, and thought about your spiritual development and growth? No. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say none of you have. We don't think American dream and attribute that to knowing the creator of all things better and growing in him. We think bigger house, better job, better neighborhood, bigger bank account. That's what we pursue. But here's what Adam said. That actually shouldn't be what we term as the American dream and as richness. He goes on to eventually say this. He distinguished the American dream from dreams of prosperity. It was, he declared, quote, not merely a dream of motor cars and higher wages. I would, however, suggest that I don't think, by and large, we heeded his warning. The evidence I would offer is the fact, and you know this, you see it in lives around you, and maybe some of you would even say you've felt it true in your own life, that the American dream that we have come to pursue so often leads us to one of two places usually. Either this never-ending hamster wheel of trying to get somewhere that seems like it's just unattainable, and life just becomes this monotonous rotation of the same thing day in, day out, year in, year out, or how often have we seen somebody that achieves the American dream, gets it all, and yet is still left wondering what else there is, wanting more, not feeling like it was enough, and it didn't satisfy. That's why even when we use the phrase, living the dream, seldom do we actually use that seriously. Like, few times have I ever heard somebody actually say, I mean, Andrew said it a few minutes ago on the screen, he said, I've been living my dream for 30 years. The truth is, most people would not say that. Most people, when they use the phrase, living the dream, it's what? It's pretty sarcastic. Yeah. Hey, how's life? Living the dream, taking out the trash, you know? It's not living the dream. So for just a minute, I want you to watch a really short video. It's kind of a funny spin on what it would look like if at a young age we decided to divorce ourselves from the dreams that actually bring joy and bring life and settle for lesser dreams like we often do as adults. Check it out. You wanted to see me? That is great because I have got some great ideas. Dreams. Good morning. Listen, we've had some good times. The best of times? Yes, but as you know, I'm turning nine next week. Remember the time we hopped that fence and jumped on them goats at the petting zoo to rescue the train that had been hijacked by your older brothers? Of course I do. But that's not why I... Hold on. 
Remember when we went to the moon and filled its craters with cheese? From my mom's artisanal cheese collection from France and Italy. Absolutely. Hold on for one second. Remember when we tried to saw your sister in half? Oh, yeah! <laughs> Will you listen to me for one minute? There comes a point in every man's life where he has to grow up. I'm not getting any younger. I got my future to worry about. Uh-huh. I've got responsibilities. A dog, a room to myself, homework is right around the corner. I have to let you go, man. What? You heard me. I have to put those childish things in my past behind me and reprioritize my life. But kid, I'm your dreams. You're supposed to value your dreams. You, you can't throw your dreams away. You can't stop dreaming. You can't stop this. You can't stop this. Check that out. You can throw this away? You need to pack up your things and leave. We had so many wonderful plans, activities, arts, and crafts. I can't believe you're letting your dreams go. I thought you were going to be different than the rest of them. Please, don't make this harder than it needs to be. Allow me to see you to the door. Pretty ridiculous. And yet, I think the truth is, into adulthood, there are dreams that God has for us that some of us have divorced ourselves from. There are some of us that have never even realized that God, in fact, has dreams for your life. Not dreams in some giant generic sense for people, for you, by name, specifically. If we're to believe some of the words of this book, then there was a point before you were ever even conceived that you were a dream in the mind and in the heart of God. And with intention and purpose and intimacy with his hands, he formed you for purpose and reason. There are dreams that God has for your life. And some of us have found ourselves wandering away from those dreams. Some of us have never realized that God, in fact, has dreams. The whole point of this series for the next couple of weeks is to try to understand how do we know what God's dreams are and how do we step into them and then how do we not screw it up when we're starting to actually experience what God has for us. Here's what I'd love you to do and then we're gonna pray and open up to the text that we're gonna use this morning. Just take one more minute around you, look to somebody that you either came with or if you didn't come with somebody, make a friend and just tell them what was a dream you remember having as a kid. Go ahead. Any dream as a kid that you remember. So this is the second service we've done this. Here's what's super funny. Both times within like five seconds, I start hearing pockets of giggle. People start laughing. So some of y'all had some, some goofy dreams apparently. I had, when I was youngest, I remember, you know, like, like typical boy, when I was young, I wanted to be a police officer. That was my goal for the longest time, all the way up, even into college till things shifted. Clearly, I am not a police officer. I did, however, start a church about 13 years ago, and the mission statement was to arrest attention and provoke new thought. So there you go. I kind of I did it. So 
I want to pray and just ask that the Lord would speak to us, be very clear through this book and through his presence that's in this room, and that we would understand something a little bit more than when we walked in about his dreams. So Father, I just come before you and acknowledge, even in my posture, that you are king of all things. You, I believe, are the Lord of all creation who breathed everything into existence. You hold it all according to your word that you've given us in the palm of your hand. Every star, every moon, every planet, every galaxy, and us is in your hand. And God, I pray this morning as we open up this book that you've given us that it would give us understanding about you. It would provide to us understanding about ourselves and about the life that you were inviting us into. Even for those of us that have walked for years and years and years with you, would you bring something fresh and new out of these pages that we maybe think we already know about you and about what you're doing in our lives, but something new, I pray, would emerge today for us. And for those of us trying to figure out if there even is a you, God, would you meet us in that place? Would you begin to whisper only the way that you can? Nobody from this stage can do that. Would you whisper in the way that you can, that you are, and your name is Jesus? And I pray, God, that we would just know your presence in a way that begins to draw us to your presence. I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you can be heard. And I'm most of all thankful for your love for us in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the things that's a value for us that we start off with a lot of times early in the day, and we'll do it now, is a moment to just receive our offering. And if you're new with us or coming back for the first time in a long time, uh, a lot of you know this, we don't pass anything these days, probably for obvious reasons, but there are a lot of re- ways that you can give. And I just want to say, to, to those of you that are a part of this with us, thank you. This is never, and I know that there's a lot of backgrounds that some of us come from with other churches or even stereotypes about churches and money, and sadly, many of those stereotypes are justified in having, but I'm just telling you, from my time being here at Kensington, I love, love the generous nature of this place. From you to what we even do to send money outside of these walls, there is an imprint for the kingdom that we are having literally around the globe. And it is for no other reason that so many of you have really said yes to Jesus and yes to what's in your hands to give back a portion to say, let more people know about him. If you're not a part of that, I'm just gonna tell you, this is one of the best things you can do with your money. It's to genuinely be a part of something. And if you're like, yeah, I don't know if I trust you. That's great. That's fine. I'll give you a list of 30 other places you can give to. They're probably going to criticize me for this on Tuesday in the finance department. But there are other places. You don't trust us. It's not about us getting your money. It's about us saying, join what the kingdom's doing. So I hope you're a part of that with us. If you're not, we'd love to have you. Here's all the ways. Uh, If you don't want to do it on any of these, you like to do tactile, we've got buckets in the back. They always tell me don't say buckets, receptacles, but they're buckets, but the bucket receptacles are out there. You can put it in as you walk out the door, but I just want to say thank you and and join us. And if you do today for the first time, welcome to the journey with us. So I want to share with you um, one of the first times in college that I remember having somebody really say, you got to have a dream. And so I'm, I'm early on in college, I'm a freshman, and I remember this time that we met, it's like a month in with a group of upperclassmen, and I'll never forget this one guy says, pretty sure he was a senior, and he said, you gotta have dreams, I don't think he said dreams, he probably said goals, I'm gonna say dreams. He said, you gotta have goals, dreams that are bigger than just your degree. He's like, you gotta have something more that you're shooting for, don't just make it about the degree, like what's your real goals? So I'm just gonna be honest with you, this is probably a little shallow, but I was just out of high school, I was a kid, brand new into college, and I sat there and I looked at my buddy and I was like, I don't know what my goal is, by the time I graduate, I want to be dating a blonde, I want to have a boxer dog, and I want to be driving a Jeep Wrangler. That's my dream. 
And he's like, sounds like a good dream. I said it was shallow, but I was young. I'm like, okay, whatever. So here's what was crazy. I met my wife, Nicole, who's sitting over here, who happens to be a blonde. We got married in college. On my graduation day, we not only were married, so there's the blonde. We had a boxer as a dog. But the week leading up to my graduation, I was like, crud, I don't have a Jeep yet. So I'm like, I got to have a Jeep. Otherwise, my dream is a failure. Not that it would be because of you, but I'm like, I got to. Oh, I'm going to be digging out of this one. I'm like, I got to get the Jeep, though. So I literally showed up late to my own graduation because I was down at Gross Point making a deal for a Jeep. But I got there, and I walked. And I, by, I, by the time I walked, I had the blonde, the boxer, and the Jeep. I told you, a little bit shallow. The boxer eventually died, and, I, and then I had to sell the Jeep. And, but, but tomorrow, actually, tomorrow, yeah, 8-2, Nicole and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage. So I figured one out of three isn't too bad. So I kept that one. I, um, I have had other dreams uh, that were a little bit deeper than just a boxer and a Jeep, um, but I've also had dreams that, like you, I would say felt broken. Dreams that also, in addition to feeling broken, some I would just say never felt like they actualized the way that I thought. Dreams that just didn't happen. Nicole and I were even talking in the last week, I think even yesterday we were chatting about this, that there was a dream that her and I shared once that... I feel like we tasted a bit of it, but it never fully came out the way that we thought. And I think like you, like me, there's a lot of us that would say, man, I've had dreams that I feel like have been broken. I've had dreams that I feel like never really happened. But I think there's even a lot of us that would say, I don't, I don't know if I've ever actually had a dream for my life. Like this compelling picture of your personality, your gifts, and it all bending into your future. And this picture of compelling of who you're going to be. Like some of you would say, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I've ever even had a dream for my life. Statistically, there's actually a lot of data right now that would suggest that the majority of us would say that our relationship to dreams in our lives right now feel more broken and unactualized than they do the opposite. Uh, Given especially that the Declaration of Independence uses the word happiness, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, I found this graph that I want to show you uh, interesting because it's the American happiness graph. Uh, But you can see in the last number of years, there's been quite a different fluctuation in how the average American would respond to essentially questions about whether or not they feel happy in life, which I think lends to what we would understand about how people feel about the experience of a dream for their life. Uh, It was, I was looking at this, by the way, I thought it was interesting to note that I think that low spot is probably like the 80s. So for those of you that are children of the 80s, it basically wasn't as good as you thought. Big hair, lots of spray in the hair, and weird colors of clothes. I don't know. But 93, something was going on in 1993. I I literally looked it up this last week. I'm like, what was happening in 1993? So I'm like Googling all these different places online, like big events in 1993. And I got to this one website, and I'm just scrolling through. It was nothing good. It was like inflation, World Trade Center bombing. There was like all this stuff. I'm like, why was 93? I kid you not, the only thing on this entire list of all these world events that was not negative was 1993 was the year of the Western Barbie. It was unveiled. And I was like, clearly Barbie saved 1993 because I couldn't find anything else. But here's what's super interesting. You look over here in 2018 and it's plummeted down from 2.212 to 2.178. And you might look at that and go, okay, I mean, the trend is going low, but 2.12, 2.17, I mean, is that a big deal? And I would say it's a super big deal because embedded in that downward decline are numbers like this. 
32% of Americans, only 32% of Americans, report that they are satisfied with their current financial status. Only 25% say they enjoy their job and find it fulfilling. Worldwide, that number is 900 million people. 900 million people say, do not find what I do for a living, what occupies the better part of my life, satisfying and fulfilling. Even in one of the things that I do here at Kensington, I wear the hat of church planning here domestically, the churches that we start. And one of the sad statistics in the church planning world is that by year three to five, about 80% of church plants fail. That's a whole lot of people setting off to do something they were once dreaming about that seemed to fall apart and didn't happen. Here's a couple other statistics. Only 10% of people say that the life they are currently living exceeds their expectations. And then lastly, some studies say that as low as possibly 17% of couples are happy in their marriages. So I look at that trend, and I look at some of those statistics, and you go, what does any of that have to do with what we're going to do in the Bible? Well, I look at all that, and what I see is a whole lot of people with a lot of broken dreams, or a lot of dreams that just feel like they've failed them and never happened. And yet, when I read this book, I read all kinds of places that speak about an opposite experience for those of us willing to follow Jesus with our lives. Promises that would speak to ideas of having vision for our lives or even having dreams for our lives. Let me give you two of them right now that come out of the book of Proverbs. On your screen, Proverbs says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. Why do we perish? Because we don't have a vision for our lives. Have you seen that in other people's lives? People that don't have a vision for who they're to be, what they're to do, there's a sense of hopelessness. How about another one here? Again, out of Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but uh, say it, what? A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And, And these aren't just like random offshoot verses. As you read this book, there's a pretty consistent theme from the Old Testament into the New Testament, that our God is a God who invites us into a life of purpose, passion, meaning. There are promises that there's the ability to experience something new from him every single day of joy, of life, of abundance. Jesus even said, I came to give you life and give it to the fullness and the abundance. And yet, here's the reality. I look at so many of our lives who are following after this God that promises all of that will be the result of following him, and I just don't see it in a lot of us. I see the opposite. I see lives that look more like those trends and more like those statistics, lives that go, I'm feeling like it's a little bit mundane. Lives that would say, how you doing? Living the dream. And so when you read the scriptures, there's a lot of different ways to understand what God would be saying to us. And one way is how he would directly say, do this. Don't do that. Step into this. Don't step into that. But one of the ways to also learn from the scriptures is from the example of others that messed it up before us. And there's a story in the Bible in a book called Judges. It only covers three chapters. It's short. But it's a story that circulates around a man named Gideon, and it is that story. It is a story of a broken dream, and a broken dream that's a result of an entire nation doing things that I think we need to learn from, that at the start of this whole series, if we're to really go, hey, does God have a dream for me? How do I step into that dream? How do I not screw it up if I'm into that dream? I think that there are incredible lessons in this book from this story, this account of the life of both Gideon and all of Israel and what they did wrong to begin to wander away from the dreams that God had for them. So I want to take us there, Judges chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. If not, I'm going to put it all up on screen for you. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this. 
The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded their country. And they camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So interesting bit of historical detail. The Midianites are actually distant relatives to the Hebrews. Clearly no blood is thicker than water dedication here because they are just raiding relentlessly on their, their distant fifth, sixth, seventh cousins, whatever the relationship would be at this point. And, and part of what's giving them the success in war, here's a little another side note for you, was their, really their employment of camels in battle. So here's a, here's a fun little uh, trivial pursuit. If it ever comes up, you'll win on this one. Uh, there's a lot of people, scholars and, and uh, commentators, that believe this is one of the first written, if not the first written account of camels being used in battle. So there you go, a little, little tidbit that ever pops up. You're like, I know, and you'll win. You're welcome. Thank me then. But they've become ruthless. And this is the pattern that Israel is stuck in right now. Their pattern of life is they plant their crops, they hide in caves, they get raided. They plant their crops, they hide in caves, they get raided. They plant their crops, they hide in caves, and they get raided. And this has now gone on, we saw saw it at the beginning of the chapter, for seven consecutive years, seven harvest seasons, this has been going on. And they're literally on the brink of losing everything that they have developed and built and established and gathered for the last 200 years as a people in a nation of their own. They're, They're only who knows how long, but not long away from losing every bit of it. As the Midianites continue to plunder again and again and again, this was not their dream. This is not anybody's dream, but it's specifically not their dream. Some of you know the history, some of you may not, so the quick summary, the Israelites, the Hebrew people, 250 years prior to this moment, they were captivities. They were captives in the nation of Egypt. They were the slaves, they were the workforce, they built much of the empire. And during that time, for 400 years, generation after generation after generation, they endured the oppression of the Egyptians over them until eventually at the end, they cried out to God. God sent Moses, you remember the story? Shows up in a burning bush, if you know this story, and then he says, go set my people free. So he goes to Pharaoh. They argued out toe-to-toe. Pharaoh says, no, there's all the plagues of Egypt. So finally, Pharaoh breaks. He says, get them out of here. So he leads them to the place of their own eventually. This is where the dream is born. On that journey, though it takes several detours, what never detoured was the destination, the promise, and the dream. Back in Exodus chapter 3 is where we'll see it. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am convinced and concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring, this is the dream, and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the dream God gave these people. His dream was, I'm going to remove you from your oppressor. You will be a people of your own, a nation of your own. You will be free. 
And not only free, but I will put you in a beautiful land where the resources will literally flow like milk and honey, spacious and rolling and gorgeous. That's not their current experience. It's the opposite. At present, all of their resources are drying up and on the brink of being completely gone. And they're again under the oppression of another empire. Even though they're not necessarily slaves, it's once again another empire dominating over them. And as far as the spacious land that God said he would take them to, they're hiding in caves. There's no spacious land. This is not the dream. And while none of our lives could understand or relate to, obviously, to a foreign empire coming against you, no empire has ever declared war against you, I think what we can understand that Israel was going through is what it feels like to have moments in life, seasons in life that are just this repetitive cycle of the same thing, day after day after day after day after day, that end up feeling like it takes more from you than gives to you. To be just stuck in this place in life that we would maybe answer like I assume they would have where they asked, how's life? Living the dream, living the dream. And so one of the things that usually happens when you read this passage, and I've done it before and it, it, because it's just so exciting, is to jump to Gideon right away. Next week is where we're going to really roll out Gideon and he walks into this account. But I want to pause on bringing him directly into the story yet because he will become a central figure around which God will try to lead his people back to the dream he originally gave them. But the reason I want to pause on Gideon before we get to him is because I think there's a whole lot to learn already in just these couple of verses about what it was Israel had done wrong that had done this, had led them away from the dream God had for them. Because I wonder if some of us, we will see, are maybe making some of the same decisions that Israel made, which is why we feel like, for some of us, I'm not living any dream God would have for me, or I once was, but I feel like I've lost it. How do I get back to it? And I think there's actually, before we even get to Gideon, there's a lot to learn about what Israel was messing up. For example, number one, if you and I want to learn how to actually step into the dreams that God has for us, this is going to be so simple. On your screen. We've got to start asking God to give us the ability to dream for our lives the dreams he has for our lives. Because I would bet that most of us, whether they're broken or not actualized, most of us have some sense of a dream for our life. I wonder if it's the dream he has. Because I believe this. I believe this absolutely to my core. You read places like Jeremiah 29, 11 in the Bible, and it says that God has plans for you, for I know the plans that I have for you. You read other places in Jeremiah, like chapter 33, verse 3, and it says, if you cry out to me, I will answer you. You put those two together, and it's this incredible picture of the reality that God has a plan for your life specifically. By name, you're not generic. He knows everything about you, and if you would just ask him, he wants to respond. If you would cry out to him, he will begin to talk. He will begin to share. So let me just ask you, have you ever actually just said, God, I want to know your dreams for me? Like, what are your dreams for my life? Because I believe he has them. But, but how do we, like, know them, right? I mean, it's pretty big and pretty assumptuous that we could know the dreams of God for us. And so I want to give you a couple of ways that, for me, I really believe have helped me over time really unlock some understanding of what some of God's dreams for my life have been. And one way is to start leaning into some of the passions that are uniquely your passions. I really do believe that when God, according to Psalms, knit you together in your mother's womb, part of what he did is put a thumbprint of who he is into you by means of passion. There are things that just bleed out of you naturally. 
things that it's either an angst of things in life that should not be or things that should be or maybe it's a talent, maybe it's a skill, but there are just passions that naturally come out of you. And I don't know if you've ever connected the dots that sometimes I believe those passions can be directly related to how God made you and why God made you, to dreams that he has for you. I shared with the first service that all of my kids, it's, it's so great with three kids starting to watch, two 14-year-olds and an 18-year-old, to begin to watch the passions that emerge out of them. Probably one of the clearest for my son in the last number of years has been music, which is definitely a, it is unique. I think it is a thumbprint from God. I'm not musical. My wife isn't a music, musician, but my son, he's, he's a musician. He loves guitar. He loves every form of music. Like it's, it's the only thing in life I never have to tell him to do. By the way, if you have young kids and you're looking forward to the day that you don't have to tell them to put the dishes in the dishwasher anymore, it's never going to happen. You always will. So everything, it's like clean your room. You're 18. You should know this. Put the bowl in the dishwasher. You're 18. You should know this. But music, all day long. I mean, that kid, and he just radiates it. And he's amazing at it. I'm not just saying that with dad eyes. Like, he's good. And I look at that, and I, don't, I won't be presumptuous enough to say I know exactly why God gave him that talent, but here's what I do believe. That's a passion that is reflective of some way God will speak to him more and more over time about the dreams he has for his life. I believe that. I believe that that passion will work its way out into some of the dreams God has for him. And I believe you have passions. And it may not be in the form of a skill. It may not be in the form of what you would call a talent. But it's a burning desire for something. And I really believe the more we lean into what some of those passions are, the more we would get a deeper understanding of the dreams God has for us. One of my favorite quotes about this idea came from a guy named John Eldridge years ago, and here's what he says. Eldridge says, don't ask, what does the world need from me, and then go do that. Ask instead, what makes me come alive and do that, because that's what the world needs from you. I think that there are unique things that God has pressed into you by way of his DNA, into your passion. And the more you lean into those passion points, I think the more you will start to understand maybe how God dreams for your life. But here's the other thing I would say too. A lot of times when I talk to people about the dreams God has for them, like they, they think they have to like start so huge. They think it has to be like this big, massive thing. And, and I would actually say the opposite is true. As a matter of fact, one more quote I want to give you that was really powerful for me in the last few years. I tried so desperately this last week to remember who said it, so I'm stealing it. Not mine, another pastor. Couldn't remember. But here's what he said. He said there was a point in his life, and th this is why I resonated. This is me. There was a point in his life, my life too, where I thought, this is my mission. I'm going to do great things for God. And he said he got to a point where he realized that that was the wrong way to think. For a couple reasons. Number one, it's a pretty lofty goal. I'm going to do great things for God. Number two, it puts all the emphasis in the wrong place. I'm going to do great things for God. And he said, so he shifted a word. And he said, instead, this is my life's mission. I'm going to do things for a great God. God's already great. And he doesn't need you and I to do great things for him. But he does ask us to take the small steps that he puts in front of us when he says, this is what I made you for. Can you at least take the small step? Don't overwhelm yourself with an idea that living out God's dreams has to be this big, earth-altering thing. But it does have to be the small step that moves you towards what he begins to say to you he made you for. That's why I love Zig Ziglar, who once said, the greatest of all mistakes is to do nothing because you think you can only do a little. 
So let me give you three tasks this morning, and this is one of them. Throughout the course of this series, I would love it if you would find space on a daily basis and do this together to just have a moment with God where you pray this prayer and you ask him to begin to speak to you about the dreams he has for your life. So whether you're going to take a picture of this or maybe you write it down, I just encourage you to do that and pray this prayer. God, please speak to me with clarity about, to me about the dreams and the plans that you have for my life. Please grant me a listening ear, an understanding mind, and a courageous heart to know your dreams for me and to step towards them. And I just wonder if you begin to actually have this conversation with God on a consistent basis, I just wonder what he'll say. Here's what I believe. He will say something. I don't know when, and I don't know what, but I do believe he'll say something. Here's the second thing that I see that Israel, I think, could have teach us from what they were doing wrong is that they were just stuck in a pattern of life that nobody ever decided to try to break out of. So number two, for us, you want to learn how to step into the dreams that God has for you? Then you got to look for the patterns that need to be broken in your life. Like, think about this. When, when Israel was all the way back in bondage to Egypt, 400 years they were in that condition before they finally started crying out, okay, God, enough's enough. Can we get out of here? And then he sends Moses. 400 years. Why weren't they crying out a lot sooner? Or even in this story that we just read, this account says that it was seven years into this that they finally cried out. Like nobody thought after year one of the raids to say, hey God, we would really love a different future than this. Or maybe there was an assumption that it was a one and done. But after year two, nobody thought we should cry out to God. After year three, everybody's just still going through the same cycle. Four, five, six. Like it took seven years before they decided to go, okay, we, we probably should break out of this pattern. We plant, we hide, they raid. We plant, we hide, they raid. We plant, we hide, they raid. Like nobody thought to go, hey guys, is there a different way to live? Anybody? Or this is what we're gonna do. Like I imagine their conversations were like huddles about how to just build better caves. Anybody got any tips on how to dig deeper, make a better cave? Oh, I did lighting this way. Like nobody was talking about how to break out of this pattern. They were just stuck in it. There's a quote that we're probably all familiar with about insanity it always gets attributed to Einstein, although Einstein did not say it, right? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and yet expecting what? Different yeah, different results. So you take that idea and you apply it to this idea. Maybe insanity is wanting our lives to be different but never doing anything different and just going through the same motions over and over and over again and living a life that's far more a life of reaction than a life of vision, reacting to just the day-to-day Got to get to this soccer event, got to get to this practice, the next project I got to turn in, the next proposal to get done. Uh, and we just run on the hamster wheel and never pause long enough to go, is it possible God has something more? And some, of, and some of the routines and the habits that we get stuck in are, I mean, they're harmless, they're silly, but they point to the fact that we are a routine kind of people. Like how many of you, be honest, how many of you do the multiple trips to the refrigerator in an hour? only to see the same stuff, nothing new has emerged. You go there once, you open it up, you're like, ah, nothing. You go back 20 minutes later, you're like, ah, still nothing. Like my wife will even ask me sometime, like in the other room, she's like, anything appear yet? Like, it will. Like, or, or how about like, how about this one? You hate to drive home from work because there's so much traffic, but you never think to try a different route because at least this one's familiar and we just get stuck in habits. Right? There's just so many silly habits that we take on day after day after day, but then some of them are far more destructive, and they take something more from us. Like, like the habit to say, I'm going to come home and spend time with the kids today. 
I'm, I'm gonna actually, I'm gonna buckle in, I'm gonna tune in, I'm gonna dial in, I'm gonna be with them, we're gonna throw the ball, we're gonna go to the park, I'm gonna lay on the floor, I'm gonna play a game. And yet you come home night after night after night and just go through the checkout routine or you're on your phone or you're watching TV or you're just tired and, and then before you know it, they grow up and they move out. Years ago, when my grandmother who lived in Flint was getting older and sicker, I remember telling myself, I'm gonna go visit her every other weekend. And I wanted to. I wanted to break out of my busyness of my weekends, but I never did anything different. And so I kept the same busy full weekends. And before I knew it, I'd hardly visited her and she was gone. Or maybe it's your marriage. You're like, we're gonna get away. Get away from these kids and we're gonna take a time just to ourselves for a weekend or a week. And, and, you, and you made that commitment and you both said you needed it. And that was like 10 years ago. Still haven't done it. If we wanna experience something different, I know this is simple. Then we have to do something different. We have to break out of the cycle and the pattern. And this is Israel's problem. They're stuck in this pattern of same thing, same thing, same thing. And I want, hear me, here is the real danger in this. The real danger is not just simply that you won't kick out bad or meaningless habits from your life. Here's the real danger, is that the patterns and the routines that we just seem to be stuck in like a hamster wheel creates within us an immunity to change. Here's the problem, particularly for those of us that are trying to live our lives after Jesus. Jesus' invitation to you and I was follow me. Those are his words, his invitation. It wasn't just pray to me, believe in me, love me. It was follow me, which means it is a relationship based on movement which necessitates change. You cannot follow Jesus and not move, thus not change. But life affords us the opportunity way too much to just get stuck in the monotony and the cycle of the day-to-day grind and never step back enough to actually imagine, could there be something more that I'm missing because I'm not dreaming about anything beyond just the next task on the list? And we just get stuck. And I think one of the reasons that we do is because our habits, our routines, all the cycles in our life, it doesn't just create this immunity to change, it creates a certain safety in its familiarity to us. A life of what is familiar but undesirable is much easier to live than a life that is desirable but unfamiliar. And so we stay our routines. A couple years ago, we were having some friends over for dinner, and my wife was giving us all, we were kind of marching orders of what we had to clean around the house. And I'll never forget this conversation between her and my son that kind of unfolded. She gave him the clean the bathroom downstairs job. So he comes out, and, and he did a 14-year-old job of cleaning the bathroom. And she's like, Tobin, I don't even think you touched the toilet. She's like, you get back in there and you clean that toilet. And so he's like, I don't want to clean the toilet. It's clean the toilet. It's gross. And so this whole thing starts happening. So at one point, Nicole looks at Tobin and she goes, son, I'm just going to tell you right now, one way to a woman's heart is a clean toilet. And he, without breaking stride, looks at her and he goes, well, I guess I'm never getting married. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but we do that. Where God will invite us into change in our lives and we're like, No. I guess I'm just never going to experience whatever that is. Because this is familiar and this is safe. So here's task number two I want to give you. Is to with intentionality and purpose, is to think this through. List out the habits and routines and behaviors in your life that are patterns you want to break out of. For all of us, there are things right now, whether habits, routines, behaviors, that are just the cyclical way that I really do believe for some of us are creating a deafness to God's voice. To hearing him say, I have plans, step towards me. But sometimes you've got to break out of some of the monotony of life. 
So start asking him, start some evaluation, and this is the third and the final one I'll give you. Number three, and I wish we learned this, hope we do from Israel, is ignore the echo chamber. Again, I think about this group, and for seven years, they're just going through the motion. And it amazes me, until we get to Gideon next week, that nobody, up to seven years, thinks to step out with a different idea. And they're all just saying essentially the same thing. Plant and hide. Plant and hide. Plant and hide. And, and nobody steps out from the group and goes, I got a different idea. Because sometimes you can be surrounded by voices that when they say the same thing over and over, it's what you start to also say. It's what you start to believe. It becomes an echo chamber. And I just wonder for some of you, if part of the reason you feel like maybe you haven't really stepped into some dream God may have for you, or a dream that you began to and you have lost touch of, is because you're in an echo chamber that's speaking to you voices or influence leading you away from God's plans, not towards them. I, I will tell you with all honesty, the whole like, are you living the dream? This, isn't, this has not always been true. At this moment in my life, I can say with absolute certainty, yes. I really feel like I am. The chance to be able to be a part of this community is incredible. To be a part of this team here, this overall Kensington, the ways that we are trying to impact our communities, our cities, our world with the person and the hope and the message of Jesus, the fact that I get to lead our department to plant churches all around the country. Like, I'm just telling you, like, I really feel like I am living a part of God's dream for my life right now. But I also know this. I can look back over the course of my life. And a number of years ago, there was an echo chamber around me that had I listened to, I would have never gone into ministry. And then even fast forward from there, 10 years into being into ministry, there was another echo chamber. That if I would have listened to them, I would have never left that place to go start a church. A church that's still running and has reached thousands of people over the last decade. And again, when I was at that church, there were voices that had I listened to, I would have never left. And I would have never made the move to become a part of this place. I just know there are times in our lives where the voices around us have the potential to influence us more away from the plans God has for us. And, and you gotta learn to listen to the voices that push you towards God's plans. So here's your last task on the screen. Take a picture, write it down, whichever you need to. Determine what voices you need to listen less to and what voices you need to listen more to. This is what I believe at the core of who I am because I think that this book teaches it. God knows everything about every one of you. Every one of you in this room, every one of you watching right now online, every one of you that are gonna watch this a year, 10, or 20 years from now. He knows everything. The Bible says every hair on your head. Like, that's crazy. You don't even know the amount of hairs on your head. He does. If he is so in love with you that he knows every hair on your head, do you think there is anything else he doesn't know about you? Your hopes, your hurts, your hangups, your scars, your wounds, your hesitations. He knows all of it. And his longing and his desire is to use every bit of it to pull together into part of what it is that he dreamed for you before you were ever born to set you on course that one day you could answer the question, how's life? You could answer it with authenticity. I am living the dream. God dreamed me up in existence. 
He dreamed what I would do in existence, and I'm walking in it, and life is full. My greatest hope for you throughout the course of this series is something will spark within you to long like you have never longed before, to taste and know and live in the center of what is God's dream for your life. Because it's possible, but we're gonna have to do some work to get there. Father, I pray that you would speak to us beyond this morning and in the days and weeks to come, unlocking the truths that are in your scripture that no human voice could ever do alone from a stage. But lead us, guide us, father us into the dreams that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen.
I think a lot of you already know, which is the power of the church was never intended to be a Sunday morning and from a stage. It was always intended to be when the collective people of God believed he had dreams for their lives and they step into those dreams. It's you are intended to be the power of the church. I just pray and hope that we will continue to believe as a community that God really has dreams for us. I think as a people, but as individuals, and I'm telling you, I can't wait to see. What, there will be things that will be birthed out of this series in the days, weeks, years to come that are gonna be because some of you went, all right, God, give me your dreams and help me hear them. And I can't wait to hear what some of those stories are and one day share them from here to encourage all of us what happens when we pursue the dreams God has. A couple of things as you're walking out to remind you of. Number one, uh, we have a prayer team here directly in the back that would love to serve you before you leave. Sometimes it's just a process the morning. Sometimes it has nothing to do with today. It's just something else going on in life that you need to talk to somebody about or you need prayer for. If you're online, uh, let us know. We'd love to pray for you. There's people that will meet you online and will pray with you, pray for you as well. Tell us you need that online. Uh, the volunteer day today. This is one of the ways to break out of the echo chamber is to create a new chamber of voices. And I'll tell you, in my life, there have been countless times where it is the community of people I am doing life with in the church that have become the right voice in my ears to keep understanding what God made me for. So maybe that's part of why you need to go back there and pursue that. Not because necessarily you need to go do coffee or you need to work in the kids, but because you need the community that happens here and the way we hear God in that community. And then also, we told you about this last week, but we'll just remind you again today, we are launching off something brand new today that we're gonna start doing regularly called Orion Connect. It's happening just outside these doors to the left. It's gonna be around the corner in the room. You can't miss it. It's a time for any of us to feel like either you're brand new and wanna get connected or you've been here for a long time and just not connected, or maybe it's even you've been here for a long time, but you've been gone for a while and feel disconnected. This is a time for us to hang out for a little bit, hear a little bit more about who we are as a church and a community. Some of us will be back there and would love to meet you and have you just get to meet each other that are starting to navigate the newness of what it means to be a part of Kensington and particularly the Orient community. So glad you're with us. I pray that God deposited something rich and deep into you that will continue to grow in the days to come. Have a great rest of the week and we'll see you next Sunday. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.